Welcome to Away From The Keyboard. We give you a glimpse into the lives, interests, and tech behind today's technologists. Please join our hosts, Cecil Phillip and Richie Rump, as we get away from the keyboard. Welcome to Away From The Keyboard, where technologists tell their stories of how they started, how they grew, how they learned, and how they unwind. My name's Richie Rump, and joining me is my co-host, Cecil Phillip. What's going on, Cecil? Not much, Richie. What's going on? Man, the other day, my wife turned on the TV, and it just was not coming on. What? It just... It's like the power was on, but no one was home. There was no screen, no nothing. And so it was an older Samsung DLP. We've had it for about 10 years, and it's time to replace the TV. Yeah, kind of kind of sounds like it's about that time, huh? Yeah, so I bought a Samsung 55-inch UHD 4K TV. Oh, okay. And a partridge in a pear tree. <laughs> and so what made you decide to get that particular too? Um, it was on sale. You know what I mean? What the best buy? It was on sale. It's like, okay, it's right. $600 you know, cheaper than the, than the 60, which was the next higher up. And I'm like, okay, you got me. It's sold. The biggest thing that I had to do was I had to rip out all of my old cable connections because essentially I only wanted to go HDMI. Mm-hmm. So for me to go HDMI... I ripped out all my old component cables, all the old composite cables, all the old audio cables. I only went pure optical, and I had to rewire the whole thing. I, all in all, I pulled out about 20 cables that no longer uh, was in the system anymore. Sounds like a lot of work. It was a lot of work, but you know, it, it was kind of sad too because I cut you know all of those component uh, video cables as well as my own audio cables there as well. So it's like, I remember doing all this, mm-hmm. and now I don't need them anymore. Shed a tear for the the cables you cut yourself, you know. But it looks a lot better. It's cleaner. It's a little easier for the kids to use because we're not going through this crazy receiver anymore for the video. It's much better. I like things nice and tidy, and things are nice and tidy again. Nice. Very cool. Very, very cool. So what's new with you, man? So since we're talking about home projects, I think um, we're getting close to closing. Wow, the ultimate home project, getting the home. Getting the home, right? So it's it's been a little while now. It's been a little bit over a month, you know, going back and forth between realtors and the mortgage company and having to get housing insurance and, you know, just talking to person after person after person. I, I swear I've maybe spoken to like eight different sets of people <laughs> to get this going. Yeah. But I mean, that's, that's kind of just what you have to do to, to go through the process, right? So I'm hoping... By the time this podcast comes out, I would have had my papers signed, you know, my keys would be in my hand and, uh, you know, hopefully I'll, then I'd start the project of the new house, right? Like painting and ripping up rugs and doing all that fun stuff. Yep. 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 And which I've been doing all the past couple of weeks, painting and doing all the other fun stuff. Yeah, man. But yeah, but so far so good, right? So, um, you know, I mean, it's a little exciting, you know, first home and, uh. So we'll see how it goes. I'll, I'll you know, keep everybody up to, up to date as to what's going on. Great, man. We're excited for you. Thank you, sir. So who are we talking to today? So today we're talking to David Neal. David is a husband, father of five boys, geek, musician, motorcyclist, speaker, software developer, and Microsoft MVP living in North Georgia. He spent several years building high-performance, scalable social media applications and currently works at LinkedIn as a developer advocate. David runs on a high-octane mixture of caffeine and bacon. <laughs> bacon, bacon. Uh, don't we all? <laughs> <laughs> this episode is recorded on July 6, 2016, and now our conversation with David Neal. And now, away from the keyboard's feature conversation. So today we have a really special guest, and David, why don't you tell everybody who you are and what is it exactly that you do? Hey, uh, so I'm, my name is David Neal. I go by Reverend Geek on the Twitters. Um, I try to be funny on the on the Twitters and sometimes succeed. And I am a developer advocate for a company called LeanKit. And I, one of the privileges that I have is getting to go around and, and speak at a few conferences, and uh, that's something I've, I really enjoy doing. And I, I'm married. I have five boys. Wow. Good man. <laughs> four, of which, wow. four of which that have uh, graduated and, and moved on and are scattered all over. And, um, yeah, there's a lot of things I like to do on the 
uh, when I'm not programming, but programming is my passion. So I definitely hear a little bit of a, a little Southern twang there a little bit, David. Where are you from originally? That, that's right. Um, so I grew up in Georgia in the most redneck of places. And <laughs> I, I moved to Tennessee. I lived in Nashville for about 20 years. And um, I lost a little bit of this twang while, while I was there. Uh, Nashville's a bit more cosmopolitan. Um, wow. <laughs> I've never heard that about Nashville. <laughs> that's, uh, it's true. Uh, but uh, a few years ago, I did move back to Georgia to help take care of some family. And I think all my, uh, my, my vocabulary and dialect has been slowly returning. Well, it's just like you, uh, Cecil, when, when you get around your people. It's like the switch in the back of your head. It is. It's weird. But when you're around other people that speak similarly to how you do, it just amplifies everybody's accents. Yeah. <laughs> so. it, it's really funny. Um, when we were living in Nashville, uh, every time that I would call and talk to one of my brothers, uh, my wife would, would be laughing. Uh, she would tell me after I got off the phone, she goes, you know, you become a different person when you get on the phone with one of your brothers. You you, you speak a language that I've never heard before. Wow, really? <laughs> uh, so, I, you know, I slip back into old speech patterns and stuff. So what made you yeah, move worked... to Nashville in the first place? Oh, what got me to Nashville? Yeah. Um. Well, I ended up uh, joining a radio ministry uh, outside of Nashville in Columbia, Tennessee. Uh, I joined this this organization to help manage their their database and uh, their donors and and all kinds of stuff. And I was basically doing a whole lot of data entry. wasn't wasn't too technical, but that's what got me there. And I had every intention of once I fulfilled my engagement of moving back to Georgia, but I ended up falling in love with the area and I'm a, an aspiring musician. So Nashville is a, a hot town for, for music. And I ended up staying for, for 20 years. So I've never been to Nashville at all. Um, but it also seems like one of those places that has a lot of interesting stories and a lot of a lot of culture, particularly like you said around the music. Could you tell us, like specifically, like one of some of the things that you you grew to really appreciate about that environment, and you know, what are some of the you know the things that you did while you were there? Okay, well, there's certainly the Country Music Hall of Fame is in Nashville. Nashville is the you know well known for country music. Um, that's where RCA and, you know, some famous studios were, uh, you know, have been producing artists for, for many, many years. Uh, what, what some people don't know is there's a just a huge music scene of all types of music uh, in Nashville. So it's a very vibrant scene. There's, uh, there's of course, the, the typical honky-tonks on 2nd Avenue and uh, all around downtown where you can you know, on any given night, you can walk down the road and and listen to just amazing artists after amazing artists, uh, some uh, well-known, some not yet discovered. And it's always uh, just incredible to uh, to to experience that. And and there's there's things like the, the Ryman Auditorium and the Grand Old Offrey. Uh, there's different kinds of music that that play at these these uh, well-known venues all the time. Um, so, you know, as my personally, I'm not a huge country music fan, but I, I came to appreciate the the incredible skill, you know, of of the genre, of of the you know some of the guitar players in country music. Uh, I'm a guitar player myself, so I can appreciate, you know, just how skilled some of these guys are. Um, just the the opportunities that, that come up just to local clubs to see famous people that, you know, you'd normally um, be really difficult to, to see anywhere else. Isn't uh, gospel music centered in uh, Tennessee, too? Yeah, there's definitely a, a whole lot of that, that that goes on as well. 
I heard you mention that you used to you play. Did you ever go out and play any gigs while you were inside of Nashville? Yes, I did. So uh, let's see. When I first moved to Nashville, um, I got involved in a, in a local church and started playing music, uh, either bass guitar or or electric guitar or acoustic guitar, and I got in, got more and more involved. Eventually, uh, I joined a a much bigger church, one of the one of the largest churches in in Tennessee, and had the, the incredible privilege of getting to play with some really well-known artists uh just you know you know either at church or through uh opportunities of of meeting people there and um one of those was it was a really fun experience was this young guy who was aspiring to be a, a musician and he got involved with a country music um it was a talent competition kind of like uh uh you know one of the the talent shows on on tv mm-hmm. and uh he asked me to be in his you know small band uh, as he would perform and and go through these competitions so we ended up playing at several several places all over nashville as part of this thing and one of them was a a really f- uh famous place called uh uh, the Mercy Lounge, and uh, as part of that particular uh, gig that we played, it was recorded uh, by CMT, oh. and as part of a reality TV show that they were they were putting together. I uh, I think when the episode aired, we weren't actually in the uh, <laughs> oh you got cut out in the episode at all right but but the whole experience itself of just being on that stage uh being in in that environment having the the you know the tv uh camera crew and all the you know coordination and and seeing you know like how a show is is filmed you know behind the scenes you know being kind of directed in those those cases and and the venue itself the the sound system and the uh, sound engineers it was just it overall it was just you know one of the highlights of of my music career that's very well, cool yeah so so what's it like when you're uh playing a gig can you can you can you walk us through the kind of the the, the pre-check the sound check you know kind of what what kind of is going through your mind as as you're about to you know play in front of people well hopefully you've done a lot of practice <laughs> hopefully <laughs> before you go uh, yeah I mean that's not always the case but hopefully you you at least have you know some some confidence with the people that you're playing with, some repertoire, some, you know, that um, it's it's hard going into a gig if you if you're not familiar with who you're playing with, and um, so a typical gig is is not all that, uh, you know, uh, illustrious. You you know you're you're hauling your own gear and you're <laughs> in the back of your car or or whatever, and you get there and and um you just start asking questions about where you know where am i gonna you know where do you want me to stand you know what part of the stage you want me on where do you want me to plug in uh where can i put my you know my amp or you know any number of those kinds of questions and then there comes the the sound check uh so if you have you know most places use monitors so you got this wedge speaker that's directed in front of you that you can hear yourself. And so you go through this process of back and forth between you and the guy who's running the, the board uh, across the, you know, across the room. Uh, who, you know, I want more of me in my monitor. Or I want more of the drummer in my monitor and so forth, more vocals. And you balance it until you find the mix that you, you like. And usually they can, they can tailor that mix to each person that's performing so that they can hear exactly what they want to hear. Cause it's really important to be able to hear yourself. Right. So <laughs> it, yep. it's really difficult when you're, when you're playing and if you can't hear your, your own yourself playing, you, you can't do your best. And that, that'll happen, you know, before, 
you know, usually before people start getting there or something so that you, you have all that out of the way and then you, you perform later. And then there's the breakdown and stuff after everybody's have a, had a good time. You're usually there much later than anybody else to, to pack everything up and, and to get out. You know, a couple of years before I actually came, um, came to college, I used to play an instrument. I used to play piano for a couple of years. But, you know, I always played solo. It was just me and the piano. Mm-hmm. Now, you, you've played in a band, which means that now you're, you're coordinating with other people, right? And you're, you're, yep. you're harmonizing with, you know, multiple other folks um, with you. What is it like to actually be in a band and, and work on music together with someone? Well, uh, just like as a professional developer, when you have a good mix of people who, who play, who work well together, it becomes, you know, a, a synergistic type thing where, you know, three people together are, are more powerful than those three individuals right. uh, individually. And so the same thing happens in a good in a good band when you've got uh, a good chemistry of people who who play well and play uh, play well with each other. Then you can start to almost anticipate what what the other person may do or uh, you start to play, you know, really more. Uh, subtle things, uh, nuanced uh, music, um, be able to play with dynamics so you can, you know, go from from soft to to loud and be able to vary that uh, all, all over the place so that the, the music is much more interesting than just full full blast, full volume the entire time. Um, and so it, it's been really really incredible to be able to play with with musicians who have usually the term is you know like a really nice touch you know they have a way of of especially like with drummers you know i play a lot of bass guitar uh as well as acoustic guitar these days and being able to synergize with with a good drummer and we we start to play off each other and and kind of and and know you know once we get into a groove and be able to feel feel each other and and um well that sounds weird (laughs) (laughs) we're not judging you it's okay (laughs) but yeah it's it's really really special when when uh when moments like that happen so what type of like what style of music would you say that your your band plays well these days i am playing with a um a former uh confederate railroad a piano player oh. he who is also a a music minister so the 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 funny thing is uh when i moved from from nashville to georgia a few years ago i i kind of gave up on the you know the idea of being involved in music like i was in nashville i figured once i moved to georgia i would just you know i'd probably pick on the guitar or something when I, when i was at home but wouldn't have the opportunities like i i did there uh, but as it turns out, I, I ran into this guy at a church and, uh, he, uh, he played with Confederate Railroad for 16 years and, um, was one of the original members of that band. So he's got, you know, they got Grammy awards and all kinds of stuff. Wow. And, um, he, along with, uh, a bunch of other guys that he surrounded himself with have all been professional musicians at one time or another. And it's, it's just a huge privilege for me to be able to, to play with these guys. I, I play with them at church, um, uh, at least three times a week now. And we've done lots of, uh, benefit concerts and, and everything all over. Uh, we just did a, a concert in Dunlap, Tennessee this past weekend as part of their 4th of July uh, city festival. And we did a men's conference down in Atlanta. Um, earlier this year, we had 8,000 men uh, in the auditorium, and it was broadcast, I think, to something like 20,000 more uh, across the, the country and, wow. and even into I think five other countries. So (laughs) I'm getting to, I'm getting to play, uh, you know, things 
now that uh, I never got the opportunity to when, when I was in Nashville. So it's it's really, really amazing. So when I look back at some of the guests that we've had on the show before, I I find like there's a pretty common pattern that I'm seeing that a lot of developers seem to like to play music. There is a very high correlation I have I have seen between uh, good software engineers and people who have some type of expression. It usually comes out in music, but you know they've got some kind of creative expression uh, outside of programming. And what, what do you think the attraction is, or at least from from your perspective, what is the attraction for you from music, and and how do, how does that kind of relate to what you do as a you know as a technical person? You know, I I really don't know. I've I've you know I think the way our our brains must be wired, that must be it must lend itself to to both of those those things. Well, um, I did have one really really good musician who's a who's a really good developer uh, tell me once that that music was very mathematical, and he went on to explain how um, the notes and tones and the the scales and, and all kinds of things are, are, you know, when you break it down, are, are really mathematical. Um, personally, I never got that deep. You know, okay. I know I know some music theory and I know, you know, the basics. Um, you know, I can read music and all that, all that. But, I, you know, it certainly wasn't the math aspect that <laughs> that drew me to uh, becoming guitar guitarist. Um I, I I really don't know. I I think it's it's just must be some kind of disposition in our in the way we we think and uh, I guess I guess one aspect is the uh the patterns. You know, we we look for patterns in code and we uh we talk about, you know, good patterns versus bad patterns and, and we do much the same when it comes to music. We find, you know, the patterns that work uh for you know, chord shapes and chords and, and the way we finger things and, and we find, you know, ways to optimize and be more efficient at, at uh, the way we play. I think, uh, I think there's some like repeatable processes there <laughs> that, right. uh, that are very similar. Sure. Do you find that you listen to some of your own music when you're, when you're working, when you're writing code? My own music? Yeah. Mm-hmm. No. <laughs> no. What do you listen uh, to? Oh, I listen to uh, oh man, a variety of things. I, I, um, uh, the things I guess in recent years, the the type and genre of music that I've been listening to most has been uh, progressive rock, modern progressive rock. Okay. Something and those that kind of music is really you know it's it's the thinking man's music. I mean it's all it's kind of like jazz. It's it's got some things in it that uh, you know really make you think hard if you if you want to. You can you can dive really deep into progressive rock. There's you know odd time signatures and you know just just some amazing things that that uh, some of these bands have done with with music. I also listen to a lot of instrumental guitar. And that can be either acoustic type with like Phil Kagey is one of my favorite. Oh my gosh, I love Phil Kagey. Uh, I've seen him live many, many times. Um, or, you know, like Tommy Emanuel, you know, finger style. That, that's the kind of music I play, you know, on my own is, is finger style acoustic. And then there's um, things like Joe Satriani and Steve Vai and, you know, some really accomplished instrumental uh, rock guitarists. Um, I used to be a, a huge blues fan. Uh, I listened to a whole lot of Stevie Ray Vaughan back in the day, but mm. I don't I do not do a whole lot of that anymore. Uh, I did go through a phase where I, I listened to a lot of Joe Bonamassa and saw him live a few times. So um, what are some of the, the, the progressive rock bands that, that you look to right now that are really kind of pushing the boundaries or, or the or the bands that you you like to listen to well my personal favorites are um, spock's beard for a number of reasons <laughs> uh 
First of all, mm-hmm. it's got Spock in the name. It's ta- it's a ref- <laughs> it's a reference <laughs> it's a reference to the original Star Trek uh, series where uh, there was the one episode uh, called Mirror Mirror. Mirror Mirror, yeah. Uh, where Spock had a, a you know alternative universe where where Spock had a goatee. Mm-hmm. Uh, so this band is named Spock's Beard, and uh, it was started in the in the nineties by two brothers, uh, Neil Morris and Alan Morris. And um, uh, last weekend, I drove to from from Georgia back up to Nashville to attend a week weekend uh, Morse Fest where uh, Spock's Beard was playing and. Um, and some other uh, some other folks. Um, so Neil Morris left the band uh, around 2000 and started his uh, solo career. And so between those two guys uh, are those two bands, Spock's Beard and Neil Morris, and in many projects. So Neil Morris did uh, has done solo albums. He's done um, a, a group called Transatlantic, which includes um, Mike Portnoy from Dream Theater. Uh, uh, actually Mike Portnoy has played, I think on almost all his different creations. So his solo work is, uh, the transatlantic. There's another band called, um, flying colors. Um, and folks like Paul Gilbert and Phil Kagey have, have collaborated with, um, and Steve Morse and Dave LaRue have, have all collaborated with Neil Morris on, on various projects. So the really, really strong musicians and incredible music. So we spoke about your music and, you know, you being in Nashville for a little bit. How did you actually get into writing software? Interesting. Um, so my introduction to writing software was a TRS-80. Oh. Ah, trash eighties. Yep. So my, I was visiting. Uh, it was one Thanksgiving uh, when I was young. I went to um, w- my family on my mother's side would always gather at my aunt's house in Marietta, Georgia, and I was there and really young. And I showed some interest in the the TRS eighty that they had upstairs in one of the bedrooms, and I I ended up probably playing on that thing most of the time we were there that that particular thanksgiving and um i don't know how much time transpired between that and and what happened next but what happened next is my uncle called up my mother and said i would like to give this to to your son and so we drove back down to marietta one afternoon and i picked up the uh, the trs 80 Plus a, uh, uh, I should remember the name because I've, I've, I know I've looked at it several times, but it had the, a dot matrix printer. I had um, a floppy drive, which was kind of unheard of on a Crash 80. And, uh, of course, the cassette drive and, and a few other accessories. And it was all, you know, nothing, nothing was connected together. Uh, it was just all in a box along with a the color computer uh, introduction to, vis- to, to basic, uh, the, the basic language in that box. And so I took that home, I put it all together, and the first thing I did was start going through that, that silly illustrated uh, book on, on basic and started writing some, you know, you know, 10 print, <laughs> print David, yeah. 20, go to 10, <laughs> and just watch it scroll across the screen. Um, from there, I, I, I went to the Commodore 64, um, and, you know, tried to do some things like, you know, I'd get the byte magazine and I would type in for hours, the, <laughs> those stupid data s- statements and, you know, invariably there would be something I mistyped and it wouldn't ever run. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> oh, remember it well. Yeah. But I played a lot of games, you know, and I, I certainly stayed on the computer all the time. I mean, if I wasn't reading or doodling or, you know, playing my guitar, um, I, I was on the computer. Um, so I, I actually wanted to be a musician. I, I decided when I was a teenager that I, 
yeah, I really wanted to be a musician. So uh, I had aspirations of going to Berklee College of Music or, you know, some some great guitar school. And um, I, I ended up to save some money. I went to a local college to, um, uh, you know, to get a couple of years of, of college, you know, and, and then move on to to somewhere else. And um, somewhere along the way, I decided, well, I, I don't want to be a musician because I'll probably starve to death. I probably won't make it. You know, I need to be practical. And so I started doing drafting, uh, did that for a while. And then I switched to business administration or business, you know, degree because I didn't know what I wanted to do. And I was I, I made the discovery that every time I got to touch a computer, whether it be CAD when I was doing drafting or when I was in business, the uh, business degree, I was doing Lotus one, two, three, and I was helping uh, a whole bunch of, you know, everybody else, including my teacher, how to use Lotus one, two, three. It finally dawned on me. It's like, hey, I like math. You know, I'm taking calculus when I don't have to. Um, and I love, you know, working on the computer, maybe I should check into programming again. And so I took a class on, uh, on, uh, on basic. It was a turbo basic at the time. And, um, I was hooked. Uh, it was, uh, no turning back after that. Nice. I remember when I first started, I was doing turbo Pascal. I think it was. Yeah. Turbo Pascal 7.7. There's a little black and I don't even think it was black. I think it was like a blue terminal is what it used to run in um, when I first started. That yep. was that was interesting. Those are some interesting days. Yeah, I did. I did Turbo Pascal. And uh, when my first job um, was working for a tax software company, and it just so happened that they used Borland Pascal to write their their software and this was a dos based you know application back in back in then back then and uh, i was hired to be in tech support but i was able to you know use my programming skills to you know write a bunch of utilities and automate some things and um you know got my foot in the door right and so so from you know, begin to learn how to program to to where you are now, right? Like, what do you really think has has kept you going and you know constantly progressing and learning in your career? Well, it's just a, a passion for learning. Uh, I love the feeling of of diving into a new technology and and becoming, you know, kind of lost in uh, in that you know what people call the zone of of programming you know when you especially when you're learning something new uh it's um can be really exciting to 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 draw the dots and and uh, you know map old knowledge to new knowledge and sure. make that make that transition so i was a vb programmer for a long time and then when dot net came out i i actually <laughs> so I was doing VB and, and classic ASP, mm-hmm. and uh, I was uh, growing tired of that environment, and I started looking at the Java language and thinking, you know, I might, I might just, you know, try this, this out for a while. Uh, so I was learning the language, and I loved the syntax, and I loved the language, um, and I was at the PDC in 2000 uh, in Orlando, mm-hmm. Florida, when when .NET was announced, and they gave everybody uh, this uh, presenting C-sharp book. It was a little tiny book, wasn't very big. Uh, but being the nerd that I am, I went back to the hotel room that night, and I read that thing, you know, uh, cover to cover. And I, you know, I knew right then, this is this is it. You know, it's it's the syntax that I'm that that I'm looking for, and I, I love this, you know you know, this direction that they're going and, you know, this ASP plus sounds really great. (laughs) 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 Um, Of course, you know, as you probably know, it took two more years before .NET was released after that announcement. So that was kind of frustrating, but I knew that's, uh, that's where I wanted to go next in, in my career. 
Wow, that's uh, you know, because I, I was a, a VB uh, programmer as well, and you know, the transition from me being VB to VB.net, and then finally to C Sharp, it it was kind of almost kicking and screaming a little bit. So, um, and it's really rare to to find a VB programmer that went to that transition to yeah. C Sharp th- that wasn't kicking and screaming. Oh yeah, so I I. Uh... Yeah, I totally embraced C sharp from the very beginning. Uh, I never, I never once uh, attempted to even do VB.net. Yeah, and even when I transitioned, it, it, it was, it was just like, like breathing air. I mean, it was, it was really simple to to go over, and 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 it was. I, I didn't even, I haven't written in line of VB code in, in years and years and years, and I've I've never turned back. Yeah. Well, these days I'm actually doing a whole lot more Node.js than I than I oh, do uh, really dot net. So, what attracted you to Node? Well, I from the early '90s I've been a web developer, and I've that's where my focus has always been. I never uh, went down the path of doing WinForms or WPF or any of the any of the desktop type stuff. So I was always building server side apps and or um you know and 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 doing a lot of front end stuff as well so um you know a lot of people like to complain about javascript and i i certainly kid around about it too but i actually like javascript language so when node.js came along and you know the idea of being able to use javascript on the on the front end as well as the back end um it was a very compelling you know argument to be able to focus on the one language uh, for doing web development, and for for several years, I I didn't touch it because anytime I looked at it, um, I'm I'm also a big SQL Server nerd. Uh, I've been using SQL Server since it was called Sybase 4.2, you know, on yes. on, on Netware. So that was the that was the deal breaker for me is not being able to use SQL Server from from Node.js because I didn't I didn't really want to um, you know to go to anything else you know I didn't I wasn't interested in going to to Postgre or um, MongoDB or anything like that so um, but when support for SQL Server finally emerged that's when I I really start started to dive into it and my the company I work for uh, decided to do start doing some experiments and figure you know figure out if um, you know if it's right for the, for the company and um, so we're all doing Node.js these days and and really really enjoying it. So David, you're also a speaker, right? And as a speaker, you you've gotten to travel you know and see in different parts of the world, different parts of the country. I got the opportunity. Uh, earlier this year to go to Uruguay. Oh. And I got accepted to speak at JS Conf in Uruguay, and I went running into the living room to tell my wife, hey, I'm getting to speak in Uruguay. And she says, where is Uruguay? And I said, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but Uruguay is in South America, and it's uh, uh, near Argentina and uh, Brazil. The, the thing to know about Uruguay is there's about 3 million people and something like 12 million cows. <laughs> and 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 then there's other livestock on top of that. So the so the livestock to people ratio is is just it's a meat lovers dream. They are known worldwide for their meat. They export meat to all over the world. And um so when I got to go there, we had a speaker dinner at this yacht club, and they had been smoking meat all day long, and it was it was amazing. Wow! Uh, they just kept bringing out platter after platter of of beef and pork and chicken and different kinds of sausages, and yeah, they they know how to cook meat down there. That would be the place uh, I would love to go back. Now, one of the things that I I really enjoy doing is regardless of of the location is, is if if it's possible to drive i will ride my motorcycle and that's that's the kind of you know i've made uh, uh some long distance trips uh to different conferences uh when i speak and so i've got one coming up 
uh, in Knoxville. Uh, Codestock is going to be in Knoxville. And it turns out I've done this trip several times now. Uh, on the way from Georgia to Knoxville is some of the most uh, beautiful scenic roads in in the whole country. Uh, there's uh, this road called the Terrahala Skyway, and there's also the the world famous uh, Tale of the Dragon, which is a um, uh, 318 curves in an 11 mile stretch. It's uh, it's kind of a roller coaster ride, and it attracts you know, motorcyclists and sports car enthusiasts and people from all over to, you know, they, they come from all over the world just to be able to ride this, this stretch of road. Nice. And so that's something I'd, I like to do on, on the, on the way there. If I, if I can. One of the last things I wanted to talk to you about, I know recently you've started doodling or maybe you've been doodling for a little while and, and I've seen some of your, pictures and you know some of the sketches that you've done on twitter and they look they look actually really cool they look way better than anything that i could have done personally <laughs> so how did you how did you even get into doodling and, and what is it about it that you know kind of has you you know trying this 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 out yeah so i i used to draw and sketch and stuff when i was a when i was a teenager and like i said earlier i i, I was in drafting for a little while thinking i might make a career out of that well i i kind of stopped doing all that you know i'd sometimes draw a little silly face on my kids stuff uh over the years but that's that's about it um about a year and a half ago uh i don't know how i came across it but i i watched this video on youtube uh of a guy named dan rome who was giving a presentation at google on how to use simple hand-drawn illustrations to effectively communicate uh, in in presentations. You know, how to give a talk with uh, using, you know, just circles and shapes and lines and arrows. And um, if you search YouTube for Show and Tell Dan Rome, R-O-A-M, watch the video. It's it's really, it's really, I mean, it, it literally changed the way I approach all my talks now. So uh, to be honest, up until last year, I felt like I was pretty much just a mediocre speaker. Uh, I would get a few laughs. Uh, I would do, you know, a decent job of, of, of speaking to the audience, but I didn't feel like I was really, you know, really making an impact to to the audience you know they might think well of me but you know i was just you know i i I wasn't memorable or you know there the the way i was delivering the content just wasn't compelling um so when i saw this video i became like like yes that is exactly what i want to be able to do and i so i i had an ipad and i got a cheap five dollar stylus and i started drawing pictures and when i first started it was you know really really crude and kind of frustrating um you know i wasn't that great at it but i went but i embraced it and i you know when i spoke at um, the orlando code camp in 2015 that was really the first opportunity that i i did a presentation on uh on kanban there where Almost every single slide in that in that uh, presentation was hand drawn, and the feedback from that was just amazing. It was it was really staggering. I'd never gotten that kind of feedback from any of my talks in in the whole time I've been speaking. I actually had a guy run from like across the parking lot. He saw me and he came running to me and he told me. Uh, how, you know, how my talk was the best talk that he had been to and, um, just, just was going on and on about how he was going to, you know, he wanted to do that same kind of thing. And, you know, he, he literally about had me in tears. Um, (laughs) I couldn't believe it. Um, and so that was confirmation for me to start, you know, really taking this seriously. And so since then, Every talk that I give, I try to incorporate as much as I can some hand-drawn uh, slides, and it makes a it makes a huge impact on the audience. They they actually you know they really 
eat it up. It's uh, it's very personal. It's very unique. Um, they love it. And, you know, and the feedback that I get has been just overwhelming. It's I, I've had people, you know, for the first time in, in years of speaking, come up to me and say, your talk was the best talk that I went to at this conference or, you know, you should you should keynote or, you know, just all kinds of different things. So I've been I've been really, really surprised and and uh, and excited about that. So I try to tell people about this anytime I can. And I did have my first convert. So when I spoke at uh, NDC uh, Oslo in Norway, uh, another speaker that I had uh, become friends with last year uh, by the name of Jeremy Bite, uh, Jeremy Clark. He goes by Jeremy Bites on on Twitter. Uh, I went to one of his talks on his talk was on becoming a social developer. And every one of his uh, slides was hand drawn. And it and it toward the end of his talk, he he brought up the the illustration of my my profile picture up on the screen. He says, you know, this is the this is the guy that inspired me to, to do the presentation, you know, the way I've given it. And uh, wow! <laughs> so I was, I was really, really surprised and and humbled and 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 he says, and it's kind of weird because he's sitting right here <laughs> in my talk. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I, I know that it has uh, it has helped other speakers uh, besides Jeremy. Uh, you know, inspired them to go and, and do some some of those kind of things. And I'm working on a blog post right now. I'm hoping to publish it soon on on uh, getting started with uh, hand-drawn illustrations. We'd like to thank David for being a guest on the show. It was great to have the opportunity to chat with him. If you like the show, please tell your friends and leave a comment on the website at awayfromthekeyboard.com. Also, remember to check us out on our Facebook page at facebook.com slash podcast and on Twitter at AFTK Podcast. You can follow me on Twitter at Cecil Phillip and Richie at Jarris. That's J-O-R-R-I-S-S. You can subscribe to the show via the website on SoundCloud or on iTunes. And if you really want to know what makes us tick, sign up to our newsletter where you'll get extra episodes and behind-the-scenes access to Away From The Keyboard. Next on Away From The Keyboard, we'll have HyperDev team lead and a technical staff member at Fall Creek Software, Daniel Moore. Are you an Emacs guy or are you a Vim guy? Uh, let's see. Notepad, actually. Notepad? Yes! Windows Notepad. Really? Yeah. Oh. Although I don't use it anymore, but <laughs> in college. That sounds like a party right there. Hyper Dev? Fog Creek? Oh, yeah. Yeah, man, that one's going to be cool. See you guys next time. Peace. to thank you for listening to Away From The Keyboard. As a reminder, we will have new episodes each and every week. You can interact with us on Twitter at AFTK Podcast or at awayfromthekeyboard.com. Hasta luego! I want to talk about some of the other things that I'm, you know, I've been, been seeing you get into. Okay. Particularly, I want to talk about bacon.
<laughs> well, that is a, that is a, a strong passion of mine. I notice you <laughs> seem to be a very serious baking lover, man. I mean, where yeah. did like where did you know how did how did this come about? Like, what is it about? You baking? mentioned that because you know I'm on a diet, didn't you? <laughs> didn't you, you are? man? Yo, stop it! Well, I mean, the... you can have turkey bacon, right? You're on the wrong. Diet. <laughs> oh, that's not bacon. <laughs> I'm on a diet too, but you know, you must be on the wrong diet. <laughs> <laughs> he's on the bacon diet. That's what he's on. Nope, I'm on the bacon diet. <laughs> so where 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 would I go if I want the best bacon, man? Like, what country do I go to, or what state do I go to if I want to get like the best bacon? On um, my travels so far, yeah, American bacon is is still. You know, in my my opinion, the best. I've been to London, and I've been to Norway. London, what they call bacon, is more like country ham. It's it's not even it's not even bacon. I don't know what, you know, it's just a piece of meat. You know, uh, salty meat. It really is like country ham. But uh, I got the opportunity uh, earlier this year to go to Uruguay. Oh. And I got accepted to speak at JS Conf in Uruguay, and I went running into the living room to tell my wife, hey, I'm getting a speak in Uruguay. And she says, where is Uruguay? And I said, I don't know. <laughs> 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 but Uruguay is in South America, and it's uh, uh, near Argentina and um, Brazil. The, the thing to know about Uruguay is there's about 3 million people and something like 12 million cows and 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 then there's other livestock on top of that so the so the livestock to people ratio is is just a you know it's a it's a meat lover's dream they are known worldwide for their meat they export meat to all over the world and um so when i got to go there we had a speaker dinner at this yacht club and they had been smoking meat all day long and it was it was amazing. Wow! Uh, they just kept bringing out platter after platter of of beef and pork and chicken and different kinds of sausages and yeah they they know how to cook meat down there. That would be the place uh, I would love to go back. It sounds like we need to make a podcast trip to to Uruguay, but I'm there. <laughs> <laughs> 